Scripture reading today is taken from three passages. The first is Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Next is from Isaiah 58:13 and 14. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. And finally from Mark 2, 23 through 28. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples walked along. They began to pick some heads of grain. Pharisee said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Uh, Happy New Year. Uh, my name is Matt Scogan. I'm, I'm not a pastor, so I, I apologize if you've come to church this morning expecting to hear a pastor. Uh, that's normally the way we uh, operate here at LMCC, but this morning I'm basically filling in for our regular pastors. And, and as Ryan said, what I'm going to do this morning is tell you about my New Year's resolution, which is to observe the Sabbath in 2013, to take 24 hours each week and stop working. And I think what it is for me, in some ways to put it in more applicable terms, it's really about finding a Christian view on work-life balance. It's also about discovering what it means to rest, to rest in the way that the scripture talks about rest. And one of the privileges I, I get, I guess, of, of, of being up here and kind of making myself vulnerable to exposing this admittedly somewhat weird uh, New Year's resolution is I get to make this not just about me. <laughs> so what we're going to do, and, and actually Ryan and Jacob are kind of clued in on this, we're going to encourage all of you to consider observing the Sabbath between now and March 1st, which is the Friday, the weekend of the church retreat. So um, what I'm going to try and do this morning is really convince you all that this is a good idea. And, and to be honest, I think I'm still trying to convince myself that this is a good idea. Uh, but before we get into it, let's pray. Lord, I'm so inadequate to be up here. You know that better than anybody. I pray that you would fill this room with your presence, that you would speak to us somehow through me this morning. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So the Sabbath. Uh, I recognize that that sounds strange. I've gone to church my whole life, uh, and it sounds strange to me. At least in the churches I've gone to, I've rarely heard the Sabbath discussed, in, in, at least in kind of applicable terms. To me, even the word evokes something very religious, un- uncomfortably religious, even legalistic. To others, uh, I guess those of greater faith than I, it probably seems weird that I'd have to make a resolution 
to uh, commit to something that in the Bible is a commandment. It is. It's one of the ten big ones. It'd be sort of like me getting up here and saying, I've made a resolution this year not to steal anything, or not to commit adultery, or not to murder anybody. And we're asking you as a church to consider joining me and not murdering anybody, at least for the first two months of the year. That, that may be the, the version of New York City that my friends in the Midwest, where I grew up in, think we live in. It's so bad that even the churches really struggle with murdering each other. Uh, th- th- that's clearly not the case. But the point is, I think we're pretty clear on how to follow nine of the Ten Commandments, but we're a little fuzzy on this one. And I think that's especially so in New York City. We happen to live in, probably, the most workaholic city, the most workaholic culture that's ever existed. This church, we're meeting a short distance from Wall Street. It's where I happen to work. It's the epicenter. It's the global capital of workaholism. I, myself, am a workaholic. It's actually pretty easy to admit. At some level, I'm kind of proud of it. I do. I think it's probably one of the most respected, even admired sins out there. And I do think it's a sin, and I'm going to get into that, but I think Christians rarely put it in the same category as murder and adultery. So, how do I know I'm a workaholic? Well, I work a lot. I find deep satisfaction in it. I also visited the website, workaholicsanonymous.org. It's a real website. You should check it out. Uh, Among other things, it lists 20 questions. And if you answer yes to three of the 20 questions, you're a workaholic, according to them. Uh, I got hit pretty hard right out of the gate. Uh, Do you work more than 40 hours a week? Yeah. Uh, Do you take work with you to bed on weekends or on vacation? Yeah. Not always, but a lot of times. Uh, Do you get irritated when people ask you to stop doing your work in order to do something else? Or how how about this one? Is work the activity you like to do best? Not always, but for, a lot, for me, a lot of times it is. And guys, I think it's pretty easy to justify working long hours when you love what you're doing. Now, I, I, I know, I know for a fact that not all of us have that luxury. I know for a fact that there's people in this room who are at all different places with regard to work. Some of you are unemployed, and you want nothing more than to have a job, any job. Others have a job, and you probably you hate it. You, you wake up every morning, you just despise the thought of going back to that job or that boss. Others may just suffer from kind of a lack of focus or a lack of direction or a lack of ambition. So I I acknowledge that that there are those of you out there. And I think this is still applicable to you. I think the Sabbath, in a lot of ways, what it really is, it's it's about idolatry. It's about putting something else before God. But I do think it's probably safe to assume that for most of us in this room and most of us in New York City generally, we're more likely to suffer from an overemphasis rather than an underemphasis on work. And, and the real problem, of course, is that there simply isn't enough time. There isn't. It's impossible. There isn't enough time to do everything. If I stayed at work, if I stayed at work until I'd taken advantage of every opportunity, until I really felt like I was on top of everything, until I'd sought every possible angle to maximize my career, to maximize my abilities, I'd never leave. I'd never leave the office. And in the same way, if I stayed home, if I stayed home until every ounce of affection was poured out, was poured out in all the appropriate ways to my wife and kids, If I finished every chore, if I made sure everyone in my family felt as loved as possible, I'd never even make it to the office. So you can let the pendulum swing too far in either direction, but you're never going to get it right between home and work. It's, It's about more than balance, but the world, the world tries to solve that problem by emphasizing work life balance. Have you heard the term? I hate, I actually hate that term. To me, it implies that there's your work and there's your life. Since when? 
Is your work not part of your life? I actually think that's not even biblical. I think for most of us, our work, our work is the primary way we will carry out God's calling for us on earth. It is. Work is a blessing. But guys, to be honest, I think the church gets this wrong just as often as the world does. Maybe not in quite the same way, but I think Christians can just as easily assimilate to this culture of busyness, of hurry up and overload, thereby relegating God to another to-do on our already crowded list. Um, to be honest, I think it's much more fundamental than that. I actually think it's much easier than that. It's not about balance. It's not about finding some new time management technique. God says, stop. Stop once a week in the middle of whatever you're doing. He doesn't say, finish everything and then take a Sabbath. He doesn't say, make sure your house is clean and then take a Sabbath. He says, stop in the middle of whatever you're doing and renounce a life, renounce a life that has no time for God and choose by faith a life that does. I think the beauty of this is we serve a creator who, who doesn't care a whole lot what our career achievements are or how neat our pantry is. We can let the pendulum swing too far, work and home. We can let it swing too far in either direction. The real answer is acknowledging that at the end of the day, our work isn't nearly as significant as most of us think it is. And that's true, whatever your calling is. And some of us are called to do incredibly noble things. It's a little embarrassing to admit, because I work on Wall Street, but on my best days, I'm genuinely motivated by some admittedly naive uh, notion to change the world, to make it a better place. And I think that's good, but what I've realized in struggling with this notion of the Sabbath is that even on those days, even on my best days, my ambitions, my problem isn't that my ambitions are too big for God. My problem is that my ambitions are far too small, far too earthly-minded. Despite my best efforts... I can't turn this earth into heaven. None of us can. We can't. And God says, stop. Stop once a week and spend some time in holy longing for the heaven, the real heaven. That is what the Sabbath is all about. How do we follow it? Well, I want to get into that. But before we get into the how, because I think the Sabbath, like a lot of things in the Bible, it's a commandment, but it's not exactly clear how we're supposed to follow it. First, I want to get into why. Why this thing is a good idea. There's lots of reasons for me, there's three reasons that resonate particularly well. First is that God did it. The second is that the Sabbath reminds us that God is Lord of our work. And third, it whets our appetite for eternity. So the first. The first uh, is because God did it. Uh, when, when God first speaks the Ten Commandments to Moses in Exodus, he links the fourth commandment, the Sabbath, back to his work of creation. Exodus 20. Exodus 20 says this. Remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor the animals, nor the alien within your gates. Hit <laughs> the pause there a second. I always laugh when I read that. What in the world is that about? Had Moses just watched E.T. when he wrote that? I don't think so. I don't think that was out yet. I think, this is a bit of an aside, but what God is actually saying there is, you can't fudge it. You can't take the Sabbath, but somehow try to keep your business running by delegating it to somebody else. If you do that, you're missing the point. The, the, the real point I was trying to make is in the next verse, verse 11. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. You know the creation story. We all do. We, we probably know it too well. After creating the heavens and the earth in six days, God rested on the seventh. 
Why? Why in the world did God rest? Was he tired? Did he just need a nap after creating all this stuff? Maybe God, too, just like the rest of us, is just working for the weekend, as articulated so eloquently by the band Loverboy in 1981. That's clearly not the answer. Uh, God rested to celebrate his perfect and completed work. His rest reflected a satisfaction with a job well done. And in doing so, he modeled a pattern that he wants us, his people, to follow. So we can rest one day in seven, not because our work is perfect or complete, far from it. He wants us to stop in the middle of whatever we're doing and acknowledge that God's work is perfect, that his work is done, the work is done. The movie's over. We know how it ends. A small point, but I think it's also worth making. God's wor- wor- rest was also not a denigration of labor. It wasn't a sign that work is not good. As Ryan has pointed out before, Work existed in the perfect world. Before the fall of man, God put Adam in the Garden of Eden and told him to work and take care of it. Work is good. God works. When we work, we're acting like God. It's a blessing. But God rested to remind us that work is not all there is. And that leads me to the second reason why the Sabbath is such a good idea, because it reminds us that God is Lord of our work, or he should be. When you stop working once a week... I think you're reminded that your work really isn't as important as we think it is. I tend to think the world is depending on me. How can I not show up for work tomorrow? They need me. Who was running the cosmos while I was asleep? God was. I think even on my best days, I think even on the days when I get up early and I spend time with God in prayer and reading the Bible and really feel like, today, Lord, I'm committing this to you. Whatever happens, I'm committing this day to you. I think even on those days, in God's eyes, I'm like the guy showing up to work several hours late with a large Starbucks coffee in his hand saying, it's okay, everybody, I'm here, we can get started now. I've actually worked with that guy in a previous city, previous job. Uh, He's pretty annoying. But I think we tend to be like that. It's pride. It's hubris. It's one of the seven deadly sins. And as our work gets bigger, our significance gets bigger. And God gets smaller. That is deadly. Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, our work in vain. In vain you rise up early and you stay up late, toiling for food to eat. The Lord grants sleep to those he loves. If the Lord is not blessing your work, it's empty. It's worse. It's vanity. God wants to be Lord of your work. And one way we relinquish control of our work is by stopping, by ceasing. That, by the way, is what the word means. The Hebrew word, Sabbath is Shabbat. It means stop, cease. Great onomatopoeia. Love saying that. But it is. Shabbat. It sounds like what it means. Stop, cease. And when we do that, we're deliberately limiting our own productivity as a way to trust God. Do you get that? We're deliberately limiting our own productivity as a way to trust God. To be clear, the purpose of the Sabbath is not to rejuvenate yourselves so that you'll be, be more productive the rest of the week. That may happen. It's also quite possible that you just fall behind, maybe miserably so. But the purpose is to remind ourselves that our future well-being is not in our own hands, but it's in God's hands. And when we do that, when we take the Sabbath and observe it like that, we're able to enjoy the freedom that God gives us. The other major Old Testament passage that talks about the Sabbath is in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 5.15. I think it's in your bulletin. He links the Sabbath to the, to the Israelites' slavery in Egypt. And it seems like a non sequitur. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Therefore, observe the Sabbath. As I said, it seems like a non sequitur, but it's not. 
We observe the Sabbath. Why? Because we're not slaves anymore. We're not slaves to work. The Sabbath is a symbol of our freedom. Our freedom from work. Our freedom from the rat race. When we observe the Sabbath, we're participating in an act of defiance. In an act of rebellion against a world that, whether it admits it or not, is largely enslaved to work, to success, to achievement. When we do the Sabbath, we're participating with God in a weekly rebuttal of the world creed that says we justify our existence on this earth by success and achievement. So, the Sabbath reminds us that, that God is Lord of our work. The third, the third reason, guys, why this is such a good idea is it whets our appetite for the life to come. It does. It whets our appetite for eternity. By, by allowing us, by commanding us to stop in the middle of whatever we're doing, to remove ourselves from whatever chaos this world has you engulfed in once a week, and remind, us, remind ourselves that this life, the aggravation and the toils of this life is not all there is. Sabbath is a commandment, but it's also a blessing. It's a permission to rest. I think we're like kids. My kids would never take a nap if we didn't force them to. They'd never go to sleep. Even when we put them in bed, they don't go to sleep. We know how tired they are, but they never stop. I think we're like that. And I think God is like the parent of a child who desperately needs a nap, but would never slow down if he or she wasn't forced to. God closes our eyes and says, stop. Cease, it's enough. Why does God want us to do that? Because when we take the Sabbath, we find our joy in the Lord. Isaiah 58 is a a great chapter on social justice. And the last two verses of the chapter give this ringing endorsement of the Sabbath. If you keep your feet, this is verse 13 and 14 in Isaiah 58, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath, and doing as you please on my holy day. If you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you'll find your joy in the Lord. What a promise. Have you lost your joy? And then this, it gets even better. And I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The Sabbath should be a delight. And the promise... It's amazing. The promise is that when you delight in the Sabbath, you'll find your joy in the Lord. And that will enable you to ride on the heights of the land, to soar above it all, to be lifted above whatever hardship or whatever trouble you're in the middle of. It's a glimpse. It's a glimpse into eternity. It's a glimpse into the life to come. That's why I think this is such a good idea. Uh, How are we supposed to do it? What does it look like? Um, I think there's two extremes of kind of Sabbath interpretation, I'll call it legalism and narcissism. Uh, legalism is turning the Sabbath into a strict set of rules and regulations about what you can and can't do. That's clearly what got the Pharisees in trouble in Jesus' time. Um, for me, at least, there's a more modern-day version of Christian legalism, which I'll sort of respectfully call the view of my grandparents' generation in the Midwest, where I grew up. There was both a, a religious and a civic responsibility. Stores were all closed. Nobody was allowed to work except policemen, firemen, and and ministers, ironically. Uh, You couldn't go out to eat, because that would require somebody else working on your behalf. Although some contradiction that I've never really been able to figure out, the wives were all required to make a nice Sunday dinner. Um, I think for a lot of us in New York City, when we think of the Sabbath, we tend to think of at least the kind of the extreme interpretation of it. A lot of us probably think of kind of Hasidic and Orthodox Jews that we see around town. Two of our three kids were born at uh, Mount Sinai Hospital on the Upper East Side. And there, you've probably seen them at other places around the city, there they have a Sabbath elevator. It's an elevator that, on Saturday, it automatically stops at every floor 
allowing Jewish riders to abstain from operating electric switches, which is one of the things they're prohibited from doing on the Sabbath. Some Jewish households even set their lights on automatic timers and even take the light bulb out of their refrigerator in order to follow the same rule. To a lot of us, that probably sounds incredibly pedantic. And maybe it is. I think it's not for us to say. I think the real thing that matters is why are you doing it, not what you're doing. Are you doing it just because it's a rule, or are you doing it out of reverence for God? I, I, tend, to think of, I tend to think of dentists, and, and, and no offense, but I, I really don't like dentists. To me, <laughs> dentists are so legalistic. I mean, I mean, they want you to brush your teeth every day. I mean, they want you to floss your teeth every day. How legalistic. My wife and I, Sarah, we lived in, in Cambridge, Massachusetts for a few years when we first got married. And the dentist I went to there up on, on Mass Ave, he had a poster in his, in his lobby that I liked. It was kind of this cartoon tooth. And it said, you don't have to brush your teeth every day. So you don't have to brush all your teeth every day, only the ones you want to keep. <laughs> and I thought about it. I kind of like it. It's not that you brush your teeth just to brush your teeth. You brush your teeth because you get a benefit. You get to keep your teeth. And I think it's the same way with whatever rules we set up for ourselves on the Sabbath. You're not doing it just because it's a rule. You're doing it because it honors God. You're doing it because it has a benefit. The, the other extreme is, is narcissism. I think, I think that's basically taking Jesus' words in Mark 2 that the Sabbath is made for man. Saying, okay, well, Jesus said the Sabbath is made for man, so doesn't that mean I can do whatever I want? I think a lot of modern Christians kind of see the Sabbath requirement as nothing more than a requirement to go to church once a week. And other than that, you can basically go ahead with business as usual on that day. I, I think that's not the case. I think Jesus did redefine the Sabbath. I think he gave us a lot of freedom in terms of how we're to apply it. But he didn't abolish it. It's still one of the Ten Commandments. So, uh, we're encouraging all of you to try this. What does it look like? What does it mean? Uh, Well, I think in simple terms, it means taking 24 hours each week and stop working. It doesn't have to be Sunday. There's nowhere in the Bible that says it has to be Sunday. I think for some of you, it could be a Wednesday or a Monday. I think it should be... 24 consecutive hours, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a a traditional kind of day period. For me, I think what will end up working best is Saturday afternoon through Sunday afternoon. What are we supposed to do during these 24 hours? Well, again, there's no universal one-size-fits-all list of kind of do's and don'ts. I heard one pastor say you should do whatever brings you closer to God. I like that. In general, I think it's good to spend time in prayer. I think it's good to spend time taking walks, reading, being silent, spending time with your friends or your family. I think you ought to be realistic. You know yourself. I think you ought to consider what really recharges you. If you're a people person, you'll probably want to be around people. If you're more of an introvert, you'll probably need time alone. To some of us, cooking a nice meal might be a burdensome task, but for others, it could actually be a relaxing activity. I do think it's important to make sure you've got some time for sheer inactivity, just unscheduled, unplanned time to do whatever you feel like doing at the time. I don't think we should let our Sabbaths get overscheduled with relaxing activity, or even church activity. I heard another pastor say, uh, and I like this one, uh, if it has to be done, don't do it. I I think there's something incredibly freeing about looking at a pile of papers or a to-do list and saying, sorry, not today. Now, it it doesn't mean that on the Sabbath you can't attend to truly urgent matters. Jesus himself noted that if an ox falls into the ditch, you shouldn't just leave it there. You should pull it out. For Sarah and me, the ox looks a lot more like dirty diapers. And that's okay. If you have young kids like we do, I think it's probably, it's virtually impossible to bifurcate yourselves from, from all chores. 
But that's a season. Young kids is a season. Just like some careers require an almost 24-7 time commitment up front. But I, I think we do need to be careful to make sure a, a season doesn't turn into a lifelong pattern. Billy Graham once said, if your ox keeps falling into the ditch on the Sabbath, you better fill the ditch or tie up the ox. <laughs> there's, f- for me, there's one big elephant in the room. Blackberries. Smartphones. Email. What are we supposed to do with that on the Sabbath? Uh, Joe Lieberman, Senator Joe Lieberman, actually wrote an entire book a couple of years ago about the Sabbath, about his observance of the Sabbath. And in the book, he talks about how on almost every week, he turns off his, his BlackBerry from Friday night to Saturday night. He talks about the joy of entering another world once a week with his wife, a, a world that's not bound by clocks and watches and email and phone calls. It sounds great. It sounds amazing. Theoretically, if one of our 100 U.S. senators can do it, so can I. But to be honest, I have a problem with this one. This one's hard for me. I left my BlackBerry back there, and it's hard for me to be up here for 25 minutes without it. For, for whatever reason, I've kind of got myself into this pattern of being available and responsive 24-7. And once you get into that pattern, it's really hard to break. People know you're available and can chase down an answer to almost any question or find a resolution to almost any issue any time, day or night. It's a tough hole to dig out of kind of the hole I found myself in. What am I going to try and do? Well, for a starting point, I'm going to try and at least not answer email for 24 hours, unless it's truly urgent. And I'm going to try and have a pretty high bar for what's urgent. As I get more comfortable with that this year, I'm going to try and turn off my phone for big sections of the day. I'll let you know how it goes. One final word of caution as I conclude. The Sabbath doesn't mean that you have to try and get done in six days what you'd otherwise get done in seven days. In that case, keeping the Sabbath becomes a burden. It's one more thing you have to try and do in an already overextended life. It's not about doing more with less time. It's far easier. It's actually far more fundamental, though. As I said, it requires renouncing a life that has no time for God and choosing by faith a life that does. If I'm honest with myself, if I look back on my career and I'm honest with myself, Most of my success has rarely come as a direct result of long hours and hard work. It's probably helped, but most of the big pivotal moments in in my life have come as as a result of opportunities that were randomly thrown my way or people I accidentally met. It's God. It's God leading the way. And that is with me doing a pretty mediocre job at best at surrendering my work to God. Imagine for yourself, as I'm trying to do for me, what kind of things God might throw at you if you were truly able to surrender it. Imagine what kind of responsibility God might entrust you with if you were truly able to surrender it to God. We do that in part by being willing to stop once a week and acknowledge that God is Lord of your work. For me, it'll require acknowledging that my work isn't as significant as I like to think it is and that my ambitions, even when they seem noble and big, are in God's eyes far too small and earthly-minded. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said this in a sermon he preached in 1941. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We are. We're half-hearted creatures. We're fooling around in the mud when there's infinite joy being offered to us. We've got to stop once a week pull our head out of the mud and look at what's really on offer. And that is when Isaiah, as Isaiah 58 says, we'll find our joy in the Lord. Joy 
that enables you to look directly at the cold realities of life and say, nevertheless, nevertheless, I'm full of joy. We so easily fall into this lie that we'll find joy by achieving success on this earth, by achieving significance on this earth. I believe, as C.S. Lewis says, that in reality, all earthly joys are just signposts pointing to the eternal pleasures that come from God. Everything good is from above, and it's just a small taste of what's coming. Whatever you enjoy right now, one day you'll discover that it's all just a taste of what's coming. Every good job you've ever had, every feeling of satisfaction after a job well done, every good feeling you've had after a promotion, it's all a taste. Everything, every beautiful sight you've ever looked at, every good meal you've ever tasted, every good song you've ever heard, every good story you've ever read, every sweet conversation you've ever had, it's a taste, it's a preview of the life to come. At the end of the Sabbath, you should feel close to God. You should feel rested, happy, full. And that's a small preview of what heaven will be like. The line in Hebrews I love, the rest that remaineth for the people of God. What will that be like? We can't know for sure, but I think the Sabbath gives us a taste. So, consider trying this with me, and I think if we get into the habit of it, we'll find that it carries us all week, that it allows us to soar above it all, not because it's not hard, not because this life isn't hard, but because it helps us realize that what's coming far exceeds what now exists. Because of God's grace, we can stop remove ourselves from the chaos of this world anytime we want and find rest, find rest in him. Let's pray. Lord, humble us. Humble us so that we realize our need for your rest. Help us to believe we can stop. Help us to believe you'll take care of us when we do. Lord, wake us up. Wake us up so that we can rest in you. In your holy name pray.